You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. My name's James. I'm going to be reading from the Bible this morning. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke. It's the New International Version. And it's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Good morning, everyone. So we're in a series looking at Jesus and mission, and the whole idea of that is is how can we look like Jesus, be like Jesus, when it comes to engaging with people in our world, in our culture, in our society, and in our community. And today we're going to look at a very famous story uh, of the Good Samaritan, and we're looking at Jesus and your neighbor. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about the Good Samaritan, Uh, I know a lot of people who don't even have a faith or outside of the church who would be familiar with this well-known story. And the whole idea is, uh, for many people, is it's about being a good person and helping people out and being a kind neighbor. Uh, We have an amazing uh, charity um, in our country called the Samaritans Help uh, people who are struggling in life. We have Samaritan's Purse, which is a, an international aid relief uh, organization. 
And I love this story from last week. I don't know if you saw it in the news about Rob Burrows. Uh, that really moved my heart. And I've been tracking a little bit. I, I like rugby super, you know, super league. And, um, and here's this guy who has uh, motor neurone disease. And his friend uh, and, and co, ex-co player Kevin Sinfield has been raising money for MND charities. He's actually raised eight million pounds. And one of the things he did, he ran seven marathons in seven days. Uh, I get tired just thinking about that. And, um, and, and this, this picture is him carrying, uh, carrying him across the finish line. Uh, it's just such a beautiful, poignant moment. And I look at that and I think, yeah, that's a, that's a good Samaritan. That's someone who's doing amazing, amazing things. I think about the work of you as a church in terms of our compassion ministries. Every single day doing incredible work. And I think, yeah, that is like the Good Samaritan. I was particularly on my, on my heart and radar this week, uh, the Lighthouse Project. We have people who are on that team, part of our church, just doing amazing work to help uh, vulnerable people in our community. And, um, but one of my favorite stories of a Good Samaritan, it's, it's kind of a funny story. It was many years ago, it was my dad. And um, do, you, do you know when a car alarm goes off or a house alarm goes off in the street, nobody moves, do they? <laughs> and yet many years ago, everybody would be out on the street. Like, what's, what, has somebody been burgled? Has something happened? And now everyone just goes, we just turn the thing off. And this is kind of the culture and society that we live in today. But uh, my parents are from the kind of old school uh, generation where your neighbor is actually your neighbor. And we keep an eye out for our neighbors, which I think is a really good thing. And uh, I think COVID actually helped us with that in terms of getting to know our neighbors again. Um, but I remember one, at one time there was a, there's a bungalow behind my parents' house and there was an elderly gentleman that lived there on his own. And one morning his curtains hadn't opened at the time that he normally opens them. We're not talking a long time. We're not talking weeks. We're talking that morning, probably a couple of hours. And so my parents are chatting, what's going on? So um, my dad just does a really regular, normal thing. He breaks into the house. (laughs) (laughs) He breaks into the house and finds him actually in his bathtub and he couldn't get out. And he'd been there for a very long time. And if my dad hadn't have done that, who knows obviously what would have happened to him. So I think that's, that's one of my favorite Good Samaritan stories. No breaking into people's houses. That's not what the pastor's saying. <laughs> the story of the Good Samaritan is so much more than this. That shouldn't surprise us looking at the Bible, looking at the life of Jesus and these things called parables, these stories. Uh, I kind of liken it to a a trifle. I love a good trifle, big fan. And the reason I love a good trifle, of course, is there are layers. And there are so many layers to this story. uh, Surface level, you read this story, you hear this story, you think, yeah, I get it. Just love my neighbor, be a good person. But there are so many layers, and we're going to get to the bottom of these layers this morning. The first nine chapters is all about who is Jesus, uh, according to Luke. And then from chapters 10 to 18, it's all about 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? And earlier on in chapter 10, you have Jesus sending out the 72. And the whole idea is that people are sent out, these disciples are sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So they go out in power and authority to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So these are gospel messengers. And then you have, in this part of the story, gospel neighboring. So you have the gospel message, gospel messengers being sent out, and then you have this story, this parable about gospel neighboring. And church, in terms of our philosophy of ministry, in terms of our theology, in terms of how we do our Christian faith, is that we're not an either-or people, we're a both-and people. And so you'll have many churches, many streams, many movements, many denominations that will focus on one extreme at the expense of the other. It's all about preaching the good news, about being gospel messengers, but won't actually take care of people in terms of their physical well-being. And so our commitment as a church is that it's an holistic mission. That We believe passionately that Jesus cares about the body and the soul. That that's salvation it's an holistic salvation, the shalom of God. It's not um, that we'll leave that um, okay and we don't mind what happens to that little bit, but actually we believe in caring for the whole person. And so uh, that's what salvation is about. And we need to establish churches and movements that embrace and hugs and practices both and not either or. We are both passionate and connected to evangelism and social action, not one or the other. They're a powerful combination punch. They are not mutually exclusive. So here we have now in this passage called the Good Samaritan. And we need to answer four questions about how to love our neighbors. What? Question number one, what? Then who? Why? Then how? Okay, so four reflections on this passage. First of all, what? So in the first nine chapters, uh, this expert in the law, uh, expert in religious law, this Jew, this Pharisee, um, he's seeing and witnessing Jesus just loving everybody. He's just welcoming everybody into his life, so much so that Um, Jesus was even called a sinner himself. He he was engaging with the sinners of the day, inverted commas, so much so that people saw him as one of them. And of course, this expert in the law and religious law uh, wants to expose Jesus. He's seen Jesus operating like this, and he wants to expose him and trap him. And so he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, what I love about Jesus is that he answers a question with a question. And if you notice this, as we go through the Gospels, he always does this. It's genius. I I saw my wife do this with our five-year-old daughter this morning. I thought, that is amazing. And Jesus, I I think, responds um, with about 300 questions. He responds with 300 questions back and only ever answers two. And you know, that's a, that's a great lesson for us as we engage with people. A lot of people are trying to always draw us into maybe an argument or prove their point. I just think 
It's good to listen. It's good to converse. It's good to hear people's hearts. And I think the best way we do that is by asking questions. And so Jesus really teaches that so, so well in terms of cultural engagement. And what I love about this is like, it's like you, you tell me what it says. I, I love that. It says, well, what's your read? Can you just imagine Jesus saying this? Well, what's your read? What's your response? Now, the law of God, of which there are many, is rightly here summarized. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So he nails that. And I think it's really important that we just kind of pause here and look at this in parenthesis, that um, all sharing our faith, all social action, all compassion, all reaching other people, all mission for us as Christians, for us as a local church, must come out this basic Christian mandate, which is, first of all, we love God. If we try and do this stuff in our own strength without first loving and receiving the love of God and being that place of intimacy and fellowship and relationship with him, then we're going to come unstuck. William Temple, the former archbishop, said this, that your religion is where you go in your solitude. So wherever you go in your mind, in your heart, when you are silent or on your own in a place of solitude, usually tells us who or what we love. If we're thinking about Jesus, that usually means that we're, we're focused on him in our hearts and in our lives. If we're thinking always about someone else or something else, that will probably tell us about what is going on in our life. So, so where our heart and mind goes to instinctively, naturally, will tell us a lot about ourselves. And so we're to love God, and that usually and should mean it dominates our silence and our solitude. And so all our mission and outreach must come out of a place of first loving God, because I know in our hearts we'll want a life of multiplication. We'll want a, a life of reaching other people, of mission. But if we're living a life of subtraction by not first loving God, then we will always be worn out and find that so, so difficult. And then it says this, out of that place, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is really key. We're to meet our neighbor with all joy and speed and power, which is love, in the same way that we would meet our own needs with love, joy, power, and speed. That is how we love other people. And we love other people in the same way as we love ourselves. And so this is the foundation. But of course, what's genius here by Jesus is that in saying this, he's basically saying to this expert in the law, it is impossible to achieve this. We can't achieve this, any of this, all, all the time, every single moment of the day, every single day. And so he says to this Pharisee, look, you know the answer. Knock yourself out. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. But the expert in the law, of course, wanting to justify himself because he has seen Jesus with all the wrong people and he's thinking, now I can really trap him. So I'm going to ask a really important question. Who is my neighbor? Because he thinks, 
he'll get the answer that he wants and therefore expose Jesus, that he hasn't fulfilled his own law of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And also, this expert in the law, he wants something that's doable. People who have a a religious righteousness will always want to have markers of doing things that they can say to themselves, I'm okay and everybody else is wrong. This is what the Pharisees often did. And so he's trying to trip him up, expose him by not fulfilling the law. Now remember that this expert knows that to be right with God means that you do right things. So he's really asking a loaded question. By saying, look, look, who is my neighbor? He's actually saying, you surely don't mean everybody and anybody, do you, Jesus? Surely not. So I want to know exactly who do you mean when you say, who is my neighbor? So what does it mean to love your neighbor? And Jesus here tells a parable. And he sets out in the stories, and and this is kind of surface level, the bare minimum standard. This is like Christianity 101. This is what it means to love your neighbor. You meet the physical needs. You meet the emotional needs. You uh, meet the medical needs, the transportational needs. It's sacrificial. It's about feeding. It's about sheltering. It's about looking after the weak and the oppressed. It's about basically doing the most normal human thing to meet somebody else's needs. And, and just at a surface level, this is again one of the reasons why we're building the Hope Center. This is why we're doing it. It comes out of the heart. We want to love God and we want to love our neighbor. We want to meet people's needs and we want to even go the extra mile. But here again is the genius of Jesus and this parable is that he chooses as the main character in the story a Samaritan. Now, for the expert in the law, this is an absolute game changer. Okay, so the second point is this in terms of loving our neighbor is who? And he chooses a Samaritan. The idea of the good Samaritan is an absolute contradiction. Because to the Jew, to the Pharisee, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. They hated Samaritans. And more than that, the Samaritans hated the Jews. They were the biggest of enemies. This, this lawyer here, one of his roles was, was to uphold the law. The teaching that we find in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what he did. That was his passion And the Samaritans historically were accused of messing with the Torah and indeed rewriting much of the Torah. So when Jesus is telling this story, the context is is that there has been years, years, a history of prejudice, of racism, of, of war, of hatred. The Jews were seen as cruel Uh, hypocrites who were religious narcissists and Samaritans were ungodly they were sellouts and they were irreligious so they were huge enemies okay so these weren't best friends huge enemies so let's go to the next layer of the trifle who is my neighbor is it my family is it my best mates is it all those lovely people at Hull Vineyard Church no 
A neighbor is those who we don't agree with. Our neighbor is the one who isn't like us at all. In fact, our neighbor is more those people who we've considered to be enemies. Jesus is redrawing the boundary lines of what it means to be a neighbor. Think of your worst enemy right now in your mind. Think of it. I hope it's not the person next to you. (laughs) This is our neighbor. So if the story was true, it wasn't just a parable that Jesus was saying, and they saw each other, this Jew and this Samaritan, they would literally walk past them and they would think they deserve to be half dead and beaten up. And they would kick them as they went on by. They would actually say, by God, it is justified that you are now left in this place. So let's hit another layer. Because this particular stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho was an incredibly dangerous road. It's implied in the context of the story in that this guy was robbed and left half dead. But this was a place that was full of caves and hills and it was a dangerous stretch where many robberies happened. And therefore to step, to stop and to step in and to help this person would actually be a huge cost and risk to your own life because the robbers, by implication, would have been nearby. So the fact that you even stopped, this person even stopped to help them, meant that you were putting your own life at risk. A few weeks ago, I talked about Jesus' ministry being not in comfort and security, but always being in criticism and darkness. And so as a church, what we've got to understand is not only loving our neighbor are the people we would consider to be enemies or they would consider us to be their enemies, but actually it is always going to cost us when we help people. Actually, to go with Jesus on mission is to enter into arenas and areas of life where it's dangerous and costly and dark for our lives. Okay, so let's go to another level. To love your neighbor isn't to reach, just reach uh, those that you like, it's to reach your enemies. And so this is the who. This is the magnitude of it all. Now thirdly, why? This is the motivation, okay? This is where it gets even more interesting. Why do we do this? Why do we live like this? And you'll know, notice in the story, there's really two ways, two approaches. One is the wrong way. And one is the right way. The wrong way is driven by guilt and morality. Note, in the story, there are two other people. There's a priest and a Levite. Okay, so these are pretty important characters. And Jesus has talked about, is mentioning these in the parable intentionally, not accidentally. Because you would expect in a priest and Levite for them to help. Their job was to be, by definition, their job description was this, to be moral and to help the poor. That was their job description in life. That is what defined who they were. Now guess what they do? They walk the other way. They walk the other side. They ignore this guy who is struggling. Now friends, if we are reaching out in mission, out of guilt, 
If we're reaching out in mission because we feel that we're Christians and we ought to, those are not good reasons. We need to stop it if that is our motivation. Because what's so interesting in the story is this, is that Jesus clearly and intentionally doesn't have the Samaritan as the victim. He has the Samaritan as the person who helps. If he had, then this point would not have worked because the expert in the law would have just walked on by and would have justified that. But Jesus is saying, if this was you, if this was you, to the expert of the law, if this was you, and you were helped and saved by somebody who you consider to be your worst of all enemies, and you owe them absolutely nothing, then wow, he's just flipped the story. That's why he says in verse 37 that my neighbor is the one who showed mercy. He can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. That's how much he despises them, but he's able, the, the, the penny's dropping, the one who showed mercy is the neighbor. So guilt and morality fueled by works and false religion is temporary. But of course, Jesus here is, is inserting the famous golden rule earlier in chapter six in Luke. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so... The point of this moment is that the expert in the law is beginning to realize that if he was the one who was wounded, if he was the one who was injured, and he had been shown stunning mercy and love when you don't deserve it, then that is when you become a radical neighbor. Treat others actively the way you would want to be treated. Put yourself in their shoes and then act accordingly. And friends, this is what we must do as a church. This is the golden rule that is that we must always put ourselves in the shoes of those who are the marginalized, who are broken, who are lost. And ask ourselves, how would I like to be treated? And be proactive in that. This is the right way and the right motivation based on this story. Is that sharing our faith and helping people must come from the overflow of a thankful heart and life. You will never, ever, ever be a radical neighbor unless you have first been neighbored yourself. That's the point here. Unless you understand what does it mean to be shown mercy by the one who doesn't really owe you anything, you don't deserve to be shown any mercy, and yet they show you mercy anyway, is that that means you are so radically neighbored that you just go, wow, I will then do likewise to other people. We, and this is why Jesus is ultimately the good Samaritan, is that we have been radically neighbored and loved and shown mercy by Jesus Christ. We deserve death, we deserve separation, we deserve an eternity without him, and yet his radical love and mercy through the cross of Christ, he has reached out to us and has bandaged us up. 
healed our wounds. And when you get a revelation of that's what's happened to you and to your life and you've experienced that, that is then gives us the platform and the basis to then go and help other people. Because you think, do you know what? I am the worst of all sinners and yet Christ showed love to me. It just breaks all sense of pride. It breaks all sense of like, I deserve this. And that's why we constantly as a church want to be a people that don't dominate culture by trying to take over culture politically or economically or the various other things in our society, but we simply get a bowl of water, put a towel around our waist, and we wash the feet of those around us. And we're just going to be Jesus to people, and we're just going to serve them and love them. Why? Because Christ loves them. Even if they're the people we disagree with, even if they're people that get under our skin, we don't care. We're going to love them because Christ has loved us. And because I've been neighbored, we will now neighbor other people. It is a parable about the good news of the gospel. And friends, when we go double morning, have a double service like I talked about last week and, and Josh men- mentioned, is that we are creating space. Those chairs down there have a name. And we're creating space for the marginalized, for the wounded, for the sick, for the addict, for the lost, for people whose society is rejected and they must find acceptance in the church. If you can't find acceptance in the church, what hope do you have? And that's why I can tell you this, as a pastor for Jerry and I, we will not accept judgment on people who come to this church. We don't get to play judge to anybody. But we will wash the feet of those who are broken, whose society have said no to. Finally, how? How do we do this? What is the method? Well, back to the Levite and the priest. Notice this, they did not come near him. They walked the other way. So how do we need to do this? Well, we need to do the opposite. We need to walk across the room towards people and connect with them to help them. This is how we do mission. This is how we do evangelism in our day and age. Like the story here, we walk towards people. We don't pass people by. That story that, Teresa shared is so poignant for this because that's what it means. I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. I went to an area and had an encounter with somebody who really needed to hear that somebody loved them, that God loves them, and that he answers our prayers. How do we do this, church? We connect. We come up close we, we can't permeate an influence until we change and alter our proximity of nearness to people. We can't be light unless we're in the dark. We can't be anointed unless we're with the broken. And it's got to be with those who aren't like us. And it's got to be a concern for the body and the soul. This, this person did not need a gospel tract. I'm all for gospel tracts. In fact, I've got some I've just ordered and we're going to have out in the cafe, but this person needed a ride, needed a bandage. And church, we've got to walk across the room and allow ourselves to be inconvenienced. Can I help? Can I bring a meal? Can I babysit? Can I pray for you? Can I pay for this? Can I invite you to Alpha Course? Would you like to come to the summer fun day? And all that is just basics. 
But the kind of radical love that Christ is calling upon our house is this. It is the hospitality of strangers. It's the welcome of prisoners, the homeless, the children of poverty, the working poor, the sick, those who have been marginalized through racism and prejudice. These are the people we welcome and reach as a family of God. Only the church, it's only the church can actually truly hit all of this at its root. Concern for the body, concern for the soul. And we need to be that church. Just notice in closing the context here. The Samaritan bandaged them up. Images of Yahweh God and the healing of wounds. Poured oil and wine. Stuff used in sacrifices at the temple by the priests. In other words, the good Samaritan was doing stuff which should have already been done to them and yet they'd failed to do it. And so where our city has faced abuse and injustice because the people in their care have not looked after them and done their basic human role, it is up to the church to step in and help those people. We're, to the, we're now at the bottom of the trifle. These are the sponge, sponge bit. He took them into the city of Jericho. A Samaritan would never, ever have entered into that city because they were not allowed to go there. But imagine this. You're a Samaritan going into a city that you're not allowed to go into and you're carrying a beat-up Jew on your back. What was the implication of that? You would have been stoned to death. The cost, the cost, the risk, that this will even cost your own life to do this, and yet you went the extra mile. You paid for accommodation and care. You went so much beyond. You gave money but it was at the cost of your life. Again, this is the radical neighboring and love of Jesus, but we, the church, are to represent Jesus. We are to be like Jesus. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus is known as the light of the world, and so is the church. We need to face up, not ignore, but face up, to our responsibility as Christians, to the people in our city who are lying in the road, that we actually live on the Jericho Road right now. And God is saying to us, Hall Vineyard, open your eyes and don't pass by. Not on our watch, not on our time. Let us be the church and enter into other people's worlds And the world we enter into is a world we'll be able to reach. We need to enter into people's shoes and their stories and their life in order to reach them. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect and stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church 
go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.